0: Welcome back. Talking about the Manning report, we just heard from uh, Preston Manning himself, who chaired this review panel that was uh, commissioned by the premier. It makes a number of recommendations with regard to how governments respond to emergencies. Some of it, I don't think people are going to object to. The idea of more transparency, I mean, who's going to be against that? The idea that we have a healthcare system with greater capacity, uh, that doesn't have to be pushed to its limits in an emergency. Sure, I mean, let's let's work toward that. Uh, some of it's already happening, as noted, the changes coming to the Public Health Act, uh, that will make it clear that uh, the government, the cabinet, is in a position to make these decisions in a public health emergency. As you heard from Mr. Manning, there are some other recommendations, and some of them are legislative in nature, that Alberta should operate under presumption that no infringement or constitutionally guaranteed rights and freedoms during a declared state of public emergency is to be regarded as justifiable and reasonable until first proven to be so in a court of law. So that idea of, of balance can that be spelled out? Is that is that black and white as uh, Mr. Manning suge- uh, suggested, or does that create some some gray area? So what are the implications of, of putting all of this into law? Anyway, joining us uh, for some thoughts on uh, the report and some of the legal recommendations, very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning uh, Eric Adams, who's a uh, legal historian, a constitutional scholar, a lawyer, and uh, a law professor. At the uh, University of Alberta, joining us on the line here this morning, Professor Adams, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. Okay, so, I mean, in your view, how how much of this report deals in in the legal and, and legislative realm, and how much of it is more about other forms of public policy?
1: Well, there's certainly a number of chapters devoted to, to specifically to legal changes, and the the one that I read most closely was the one related to the, the strengthening rights and freedoms during a, during a crisis, which I think is chapter seven, and, and so, you know, when 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 I think about how uh, COVID nineteen uh, unfolded and and you know its broad impacts across society, I I, I agree that uh, you know there there needs to be a, a conversation about whether or not our our legal system was up to that challenge. And and what I see in the Manning report, however, is is a concern because. Uh, what I see is, uh, is an approach to, to dealing with emergencies that just, it just, A, isn't realistic, and B, might be quite uh, dangerous.
0: Well, okay, so let, let's get into that. So what, what do you see there that concerns you specifically?
1: Well, first of all, you have to understand how basically our legal system works, which is that governments make laws, and as long as the government makes that law, we have to follow it, whether we agree with it or disagree with it. But all of us have the ability to challenge the constitutionality of laws in the legal system, say that infringes my rights in one way or the other. And then a court is going to uh, look at that and... um, if they think that your right is in such danger and and the government is really um, acting without justification, they can immediately put a stop to that law pending the final resolution. That's pretty rare. Mostly they say, well, let's let the court process unfold here and see if your rights are being infringed or not. But we start with a really critical idea, which is called the presumption of constitutionality. You don't get to say that I don't need to follow that law because I don't like it. You do need to follow it, but you have the right to challenge it. Mr. Manning says, well, we don't like what happened in the pandemic because uh, people said that their rights were being interfered with, and mm-hmm. uh, they were. That's the nature of emergency orders. They, they interfere with people's rights. They say, you can't do this or you, and you can do that. You got to go here. You can't go there. You got you, you, you know, you to evacuate the city. Um, you can't gather at a mass gathering, whatever it is. Uh, that, by definition, interferes with people's rights that you wouldn't normally have in, in normal peacetime, uh, non-emergency situations. But that's exactly what a government needs to do during emergencies. Mr. Manning's report says, well, if any of those orders during an emergency interfere with with anyone's rights, which, by the way, they always will, uh, then a court has to stop that law from operating until the government is able to prove with evidence with affidavits and cross-examination and hearings uh, that that law is justified so we've reversed the presumption we say that anytime an emergency order interferes with the right by definition, they basically will. Now we say, well, that's not that law is not going to really operate until a court of law says, yeah, it's justified. How is that possibly going to work for a deadly disease sweeping through the province, for an earthquake, for a fire that's burning, and it's forty degrees outside uh, one of the centers, uh, urban centers of Alberta? Uh, it just. It boggles my mind that, uh, that, that anyone thinks it's a good idea to say to governments, well, we know it's an emergency, but instead of dealing with that emergency to save people's lives, start to get your legal proceedings in order, um, and uh, we'll see you in court. And in three to nine months, or maybe a year, um, you, you can have that emergency order that you, that you say you need.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's weird. We don't really have anything like that in,
1: in Canadian law,
0: do we? No, it's
1: completely unprecedented
0: and, and and why would
1: you why would you think that that's the right approach during an emergency when the one thing about an emergency is that the government has to act and act quickly to deal with the emergency and we know that whatever the emergency that we've seen uh in in recent years, whether it's a natural disaster whether it's unfortunately covid look there's going to be people that say, you know, I I don't I have the right to do X or Y. You you can't tell me what to do. Um, I, I and, and orders do interfere with people's rights during emergencies. That's what they do. Um, now, if government gets that wrong, then people can constitutionally challenge those laws and stop them. Absolutely, they can. That's mm-hmm. that's the, that's our right as Canadian citizens. And a lot of people during COVID said this is interfering with our rights and these rules are wrong. Well, okay, you can have that view. Can challenge those laws. They were right across Canada, right across Alberta, time and again, court after court case said actually. All of these orders were justified in the circumstances because governments were also protecting rights. Yeah, yeah, your your rights are being interfered with, but if they didn't, you know, fall out of the sky, they were saving the healthcare system. They were keeping people alive. They were they were dealing with an emergency that had a purpose of protecting lives and property. And so, uh, you know, that's a system that is challenging to, to manage because emergencies are by definition challenging, and, and we're not always going to agree with one another about where precisely those lines are drawn. But the idea that you would hand you tie the hands of government to deal quickly with the emergency because some people are going to say their rights are being infringed, I, you know, frankly, I'd be scared for the, for the next public health emergency if this ever became law.
0: Well, but that's the thing. I mean, it seems to me that, that a government inclined to to make this law is not a government that would be inclined to put those restrictions in, in, in the first place. And, and a government that is prepared to take those steps could quite easily change that legislation.
1: Well, I think the last thing you want... Um the government to do, you know, when Ebola gets off a plane at the Calgary International Airport and starts ripping through uh, the city for some official to say, well, don't, you know, don't we need to change the legislation? Like, let's recall the legislature. We need three readings of this bill because we've got to get ourselves out of this this straitjacket that we tied ourselves into based on the last emergency. And the thing about emergencies is, you know, the next one coming is not gonna be like the last one. It's it's gonna be different. You, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is prepare for la- the last emergency, thinking that that's what the next one's gonna look like. We weren't ready for COVID because it didn't look like other kinds of of health Uh, Scares that we've had previously. It wasn't like SARS. It wasn't like the measles. It was its own thing. Mm -hmm. The next thing that comes, that's going to be its own thing, too. And the last thing you want the government and its lawyers is to say, how can we get out of this jam that we've created for ourselves? We have a system of protecting rights and freedoms in this country. You may not always like where those lines get drawn, but you always have the right to take your case to
0: court. Right. And and, you know, and part of the argument is, OK, it takes time for these cases to be heard. But what about the role of injunctions? And those can cut both ways. But someone who's challenging the constitutionality of a government law, or in this case, a government restriction, is there a case that can be made before the courts that however long it's going to take to decide this? In the meantime, you know, there's, there's some urgency to this issue. Where, where does you know an injunction come into play?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 one of the powers of courts to to stop a really harmful law from, um, you, you know, uh, exacting its harms before that final uh, trial takes place. So if you can demonstrate to the court that uh, there's not a solid basis for this law and that the harms that it is going to create are going to not be uh, uh, possible to, to remedy, um, then a court will. Issue an injunction to stop that law and say, "Well, you, you don't, you don't, you don't get to destroy these people's livelihoods on this flimsy evidence." Um, we, we we've, you, you can, you can still argue that this law is constitutional, but for the moment, uh, it, it can't operate. But a court is going to look very hard about whether it should do that. Mm. And it's going to only do that in a situation where the person making the legal claim is able to demonstrate that the harms tremendously outweigh the benefits of that law and the presumption that basically we've got to be able to trust governments to make law in this country. And I know some people say well we shouldn't trust governments to make law, but then what is our democracy? You know, if we're going to pull that thread out and say we don't, you know, we don't need to follow any laws until a court tells us otherwise, then we're really, I think, removing one of the foundation stones of of how we govern ourselves. We elect people to govern. They make hard choices. In emergencies, those choices get really hard. And of course, people are going to disagree with them. But we have to live in a society where the law is the law. Otherwise, we're in trouble.
0: Yeah. And I mean, courts need to interpret the question of balance or whether a response is proportionate, but I mean, it is inherently subjective, and I put the example to Preston Manning about what we saw in in the summer with forest fires. There were some cases where yet individuals who, who didn't believe that the threat was real or, or just felt that the closures had gone on too long, and they were, you know, saying, look, this, this road closure or this town closure, it's violating my rights. But I don't think people would see that as reasonable as maybe some of the disagreements about, you know, indoor dining or churches or whatever, but I don't know. Is it possible to enshrine in law? Here's what the right balance is in all of these situations.
1: I don't think so. The minute you try and and you know be more prescriptive or or detailed in your legal pronouncement about 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 where a right is and where the line is the next situation that comes along is immediately one that you hadn't anticipated. And it's why bills of rights are are drafted more or less in in the kind of abstract. Mm -hmm. you've got a right to free speech, but it can be reasonably limited. Well, is it reasonable to limit your right to free speech? you know, with hate speech laws and with laws that prevent you from defaming somebody. Right. Um, you know, th- those are the kinds of things that we work out through the judicial process, through case law, and through trying to, to apply principles to the facts that that they come before us. And laws tend to be less successful when they try and write down um, all of the situations that it's going to cover, because what happens in life, complicated, messy, real life, is that those facts get tweaked just a little bit, and it turns out that this situation wasn't really what they had in mind when they drafted those details. Better to keep your your, your legal principles abstract and general, general, and then
0: to apply them to the facts uh, as they arise. We'll leave it there. Appreciate the insight, uh, Professor Adams. Thanks so much for making some time for us here this morning.